Throughout the Gospel of Luke, we get to peek into the prayer life of Jesus. Uh, we see him staying up all night in prayer on several occasions. Right before he picks his 12 apostles, he had been in prayer. On the day he was transfigured on the mountain, he had been in prayer with three of his apostles. And then when Jesus enters Jerusalem the week before he's crucified, we see Jesus weeping over the city and weeping as he comes into the temple because they had made the place a marketplace instead of a place of prayer. This wasn't a quiet place that he had hoped for where Gentiles could pray. Throughout the gospel, we see Jesus praying, praying with his disciples, praying all night, going to his disciples and, and praying. And, but we don't see how he prays. Uh, we don't get to hear the words that Jesus speaks when he's praying to the Heavenly Father. But finally, here in the middle of the gospel, in chapter 11, we get to hear Jesus pray. And it's in a response to the disciples asking Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Yes, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And we're kind of waiting with bated breath as we hear for the first time Jesus actually praying, the words that he prays. Uh, the Son of God is about to speak, to teach really on how to pray. And, and here is the prayer. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. That was it. I don't know about you, but it's, it's a little bit anticlimactic in the prayer itself. It's really not what I would expect in how to pray a proper prayer. You know, if I'm honest, I'm a little bit disappointed in, in the prayer itself. I, you know, I think we all want something a little more inspiring. Uh, there aren't any long flowing phrases or uh, metaphors and similes strung together with multi-syllable words spoken by James Earl Jones or Billy Graham. It's just a simple prayer. You know, we're, we're more likely to be inspired by uh, an impressive prayer like uh, St. Francis who prayed, you know, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we awake to eternal life. You know, that's kind of the prayer I would have expected from the lips of Jesus as he gives us this prayer. It's, it's a form of the Lord's Prayer, but it's so simple. And it's not what we really had wanted. And, and here's where we're really confronted with the reality that Jesus doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. Jesus doesn't give us what we want. So often he gives us what we need. He's giving us a prayer really in the, in the midst of the daily struggle, the daily grind of life, a simple prayer to give us guidance on how to live. Uh, and his prayer really is grounded in reality. You can almost say the whole prayer in one breath. It, 
And it expresses, though, our deep need as followers of Jesus Christ. Our, our needs in Him, our needs in God. It reflects our total reliance on God as our Heavenly Father. So we're just going to dive into this simple prayer. Uh, let's walk through it together. It starts with, Father, may your name be kept holy. Uh, the prayer, it begins with an intimacy with God that is expressed by the word Father. Heavenly Father. God is our Father. And we should have that intimacy with God like a Father relationship and a need for trust and dependence on God as Father. Now, for those of us who have good earthly fathers, this is easy to understand. It's not too big a leap for us to understand God as Father. But for those of us, for those who have had an absent or neglectful father, it's a little bit harder to understand that idea of Father. But a loving father desires the best for his children. Let me say that again. A loving father desires the best for his children. A loving father cares for us, teaches us, disciplines us, delights in us, nurtures us. God is our father. It's an image we see throughout scripture uh, that we are his children. We are children of God. It's not a new uh, image. In the Old Testament, we read in Deuteronomy 32, 6, is not the Lord your Father who created you, who made you and established you? And in Isaiah 63, 16, you, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. But in the same breath, as we say, Father, we must also understand the incredible privilege of coming before the Father. We are not peers. We are not in a peer relationship. He is God and He is holy. He is our Father. So we should approach God in humility and respect. So as we approach God, we are there to keep his name holy. And I think that's important for us to understand as well. The second petition, second line there that is asked is, may your kingdom come soon. It plays into the first phrase to keep God's name holy. And it acknowledges that only God can make everything right. Uh, that only God can establish a kingdom that has no end, that God's kingdom is most important as, as we, his disciples, help usher in that kingdom. And when we understand our most basic need is for God and that we have a hope for a future kingdom with God, then our physical needs are addressed. And it states, give us each day the food we need. It's a simple trust that God will provide what we need for every day. It's simple, but it's a hard prayer to pray, I think. It, it definitely requires faith. It requires reliance on God daily. See, it says to ask for daily bread. We want to ask for weekly bread or monthly bread or yearly bread even. But here it says, ask for daily bread. It's a daily reliance on God to provide for our needs, trusting He will provide what we need, not necessarily what we want. But from this simple trust in God to provide, we move to the spiritual side of our life as well, and specifically forgiveness. Next line says this, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're going to take just a little bit deeper dive here for a moment into this idea of forgiveness. Because the word sin in the first phrase is different from the word sin in the second phrase in the original Greek in which the, the New Testament was written. 
I want to look at the NRSV translation and we get a better sense of the word used there. It says, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. So two different words, sin and indebted. Um, and for us to really get the idea of the context of this verse, we're going to have to step back in time uh, to the culture of the Greco-Roman world in which Jesus lived. Because built into the fabric of the society where Jesus lived was a, a patronage system in which favors were done to people and then there was an expectation that you would receive something back. So there was a cycle over and over again of payment and debt uh, where the powerful really held sway over the less powerful. It was, in effect, a system of, of bondage. And, and Jesus here in this prayer is kind of breaking that system, that type of forgiveness and bondage. God's forgiveness isn't dependent on our forgiveness. It's not a relationship of quid pro quo. You do something for me and then I'll do something for you. God is above and otherworldly and his forgiveness is beyond ours. Rather, it's an, an it's acknowledgement to that we are called to mirror the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. Since the Heavenly Father forgives, we should mirror his, uh, his same, uh, what he does as well. So we should also learn to forgive. Because God is forgiving, we ought to be forgiving in our relationships. We should imitate God. And so it's it's tying into that. It's when it says, we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. It's not this continual cycle of, you're going to pay me back and then I'm going to pay you back, so forth and so on. As disciples, we acknowledge our sins and our need for God. And from that forgiveness, we want to embody the characteristics of our Heavenly Father in forgiving others. Make sense? And the prayer ends with this final phrase, and don't let us yield to temptation. This, this final request is really a, a request for spiritual uh, protection. It's an acknowledgement that without God, without God with us, we would, we would be headed to sin, to death, to hell. Without him, we cannot yield to temptation. We need him to, to break that cycle of sin. And again, this whole prayer is, is a prayer of total reliance on God as our Heavenly Father to care for us. It, it grounds us in the reality that we need God in every aspect of our lives. Without Him, we really are nothing. Uh, we need the hand of God with us. We need His protection. We need His provision. We need His kingdom. And the image that comes to mind when, uh, when I'm thinking about this prayer is it's one of my favorite pictures with my son. You can see my, my son is holding my hand as we walk. He's a lot uh, younger then. Uh, now he's taller than me. But in, in the picture, I, I see this sense of dependence, protection, love, grace. And, and that's really where this prayer is leading us, holding on to the hand of the Heavenly Father. That's the image that I want us to, to have, that we are totally dependent on our Heavenly Father to guide us, to protect us. And we need him. Prayer links us with God and helps build our relationship with God. It deepens the connection and the relationship that we have. But there's another aspect of this prayer of Jesus we can't miss. It's crucial to our understanding of our relationship with Jesus 
and with God. So uh, I'm going to read the whole prayer again and see if you notice it. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. It's a communal prayer. It's a community prayer. It is supposed to be prayed in community. It's shared as the body of Christ. It says, give us, forgive us as we forgive. Don't let us. It's not an individualistic prayer. It's a communal prayer. It's a reminder that we are the church together. Our individual walk with Jesus is important, but even more important is our connection with the body of Christ, the church. We are the church together. We speak the prayer together as one voice. We all pray and we should be praying for the same things. The prayer is echoing what the New Testament echoes throughout, that our relationship with God is communal. I hear people say all the time that my relationship with God is just between me and God. It has nothing to do with you. And and that is so totally wrong. It's against what the the Bible says in in our relationship with him. Uh, Or I hear people say that I can be a Christian without being a part of the church. That just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Both of these statements really are incorrect. Your relationship with God affects the whole body of Christ. It's not just between you and him. We are all in this together. And our communal prayer should be that God's kingdom comes. Amen. So we, we do have that image of individually holding the hand of God, but we are a part of a family of God. It's, it's like our brothers and sisters. We are all hand, holding the hand of God. And, and this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. A beautiful, simple, communal prayer of reliance on God in all aspects of our life. But he doesn't stop there. In fact, right after this prayer, Jesus tells a parable to help us understand how to approach God. This is the bonus part of the, of the sermon. But it's an important bonus that I think will give us great confidence and comfort uh, as we learn how to pray every day as we approach God. Let me read the parable. It says this. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though I will not get up and give him anything because he is because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Search and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's kind of a curious parable there, but I think it's a a powerful word about how we approach God. And we have to understand, especially, again, going back in context, in the, in the context of the first century, food wasn't as readily available as it is to us. We didn't have a corner store or a 24-hour Walmart where we could just get up and go buy bread. Um, and, and typically, you would make bread for the day only or, or maybe just a little bit more. So, again, 
in, also in this culture, it held uh, hospitality as a, a cornerstone of its existence. And a visitor was to be welcomed and cared for no matter what time of day. So here, this guy had, kind of has a dilemma. The neighbor has a late night uh, guest and no food. And the reality, too, that uh, his home, in his home, probably they all slept together in one room. Uh, the whole family sleeping together. He doesn't want to wake the kids. All of you with kids understand that. Don't wake the kids. And, and he doesn't want to wake the wife either, right? But the man has the nerve to come at midnight and with persistence and boldness ask his neighbor for bread. And that's how we should approach God as well. With persistence and boldness, we don't have to be really ashamed to ask for help. He wants to help. He wants to be there. As it says at the end of the parable, your heavenly father wants to provide for you. He wants to give you the spirit. He wants to give you what you need. We have to remember that. He gives us what we need, not necessarily what we want. But we approach God with the knowledge and assurance that he cares for us and he indeed hears our prayers. So as we kind of wrap up this sermon on prayer, I just remind you again, as we approach God, we don't have to have extravagant words. It can just be a simple prayer of reliance on him. We don't have to dress ourselves up, but we should place our hand in the hand of the Heavenly Father as we uh, approach the throne of God through the gift of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you kind of as a next step if to, to daily, daily be in prayer. And if you're not, to, to take time each day. It doesn't have to be a long prayer but it does need to be a prayer of reliance on him. You can even pray this very prayer each day as a part of your prayer time. But let's go to God in prayer as we wrap up. Again, God, we thank you for this time we've had together, uh, that you have taught us how to pray, and it's not extravagant. It's just a simple prayer of reliance on you. And so we come simply relying on you today. Um, indeed, may your kingdom come soon. You are our Father. Provide for us today. Forgive us and help us to forgive others. May your kingdom come, Lord, and help us not to yield to temptation. We love you, Lord. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Peace. Y'all have a great week.